Welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. I'm your host, Chris Revel, coming from the Cat Cave in Warwick, Rhode Island, recording this intro in my bedroom. This is the first time in like over a year that I've done the intro, and um, yeah, it's good to be back, and I'm really excited to share this episode with Sonetta, who we talk about the episode, has become a really a very good friend and the reason you should meet your internet friends, and I'll, we'll go into that in the episode. So Sonetta and I met when I had Pete from Streetlight Manifesto on the podcast, along with John Tumalo, the lead singer of Folly. When I was getting ready to release the episode, I was doing my research, figuring out places where I could find the audience who'd want to listen to that episode, which led me to this Facebook group called Friends of Streetlight Manifesto. Within that group, I just met a lot of really wonderful people uh, and spent a lot of time together, and one of the people being Sonetta, and we just became really good friends. And throughout the pandemic and before and after, I've always struggled with insomnia, and so a lot of times I'll... There's a lot of times, especially in the pandemic, where Sonetta and I would end up like just chatting at like three o'clock in the morning about like life and death and arrested development and, and punk rock and ska and art and uh it was just always wonderful. I always love talking to her. Uh so this is a really great episode. Sonetta is really talented. She's just one of those people who can kind of do everything and I kinda of love hate her for it. Besides being a talented filmmaker and a uh stop motion animator artist and everything. Sonetta is also an author and she's written the book Last Words Are for Fools. So excited. Uh, it was published through Testimony Books. We'll leave links in the show notes of where you can get it. We'll leave you all the links where you can find uh, Sonetta on the internet. She's basically on all the good stuff like Insta, Twitter, and Facebook at Sonetta Duncan. Really just a great episode. And if my voice sounds somber, it's not because of Sonetta. Um, I have a really... Big announcement to make. Let's chat with Chris Revel is ending. We've got about maybe five or six episodes left to release. And we're going to get all those out with the plan is to get them all out by the end of August. Which will conclude our 10 fucking year run of Let's Chat with Chris Revel. This podcast started with myself and Mike Timoney in 2013 in I think my living room or my kitchen in my old apartment in Wood Street in Providence. Started as a hobby. And podcasting has taken over my life, and a lot has changed. I was I, I wasn't even married. I was a few months before I got married. Uh, God, it was like four apartments ago. It was before I was a dad. Five or six jobs ago, like a lot. A lot's changed in ten years. I got really busy working at my new job at a Simplified Impact as a uh, right now. I'm I would say the podcast manager and media doing media sales. And all I've been doing is working on other people's podcasts, and I hadn't had time for my own. Now, the good thing is that Let's Chat with Chris Revel has definitely been on the back burner, but Let's Chat, the brand, Let's Chat Media, has been in full swing with myself, my uh, producing partner, Nathan Peavy, who's a OG Let's Chat guest and one of my best friends, and we've been working real hard to build this into a growth agency into a podcast growth agency and we've been having a lot of real working really hard but it, working really hard but it's been fun while yes this podcast is ending it's not goodbye for podcasts forever in fact it's the opposite we're going to be launching a new podcast uh, nathan and i are calling the the podcasters of podcasting it's a reference to the comedians of comedy one of our uh, we're huge comedy fans and uh we're really excited about it right now we're kind of developing it it will be myself and nathan We'll be having guests, definitely more people locally from Rhode Island, definitely virtual as well, and really kind of exploring creativity, and we'll have a little bit more of a structure than Let's Chat, but you know, I'm hoping one day that things can turn into a way that maybe we can, I can do Let's Chat with Chris Revel down the road again, but at this, for now, it's, it's goodbye. So Nathan and I are really excited to be putting episodes out again, and really, really been crazy busy. Uh, we've been hosting... Uh, Providence podcast meetups we were doing under the name Let's Chat Social Club, which we're not sure for keeping. Uh, we've done a few of those. We've just been super busy and like just been doing nothing but podcasts, but haven't put up my own podcast, which just kind of sucks. Um, and this is really, it's emotional. It, it really is. Uh, we're going to do, Nathan and I will do a proper long goodbye episode uh, before we start. The plan is to be launching our new one of August, you know, kind of full circle. It starts in 
we, we end this 10 years and start a new one. We're going to keep the same social media. We're going to keep the same podcast feed. All that's going to same. So you don't have to do anything. Uh, there'll still be about five or six episodes left to let's chat with Chris Revel. And then we'll be having more consistent podcast again and more engaged and, and it's going to be awesome. But just, just thank you to everyone. I, she was just talking to Sonetta before I recorded this. And I was trying to explain. She's like, oh, how do you feel? And I was like, it's hard to explain because I was never the kind of person who did things like these. I've never really kept hobbies. I never thought I – like I made a – for those who don't know, if you're maybe you never listened before, I made a career switch at like 38, 37. I don't know. It was like in, in my late 30s with a house and a child, I, I left my career in healthcare after 11 years and – so now I work in podcasting and it's fucking awesome. Uh, really great episode. Uh, and I just want to make sure I give a huge shout out to all my fellow Fosum crew. Um, one of the kindest things that's ever happened is I got this really nice um, there are some relatives and I got Podcast King with a little street light with a domino on it. I'll put a post on the uh, on the social media and I have it with all of my stuff that means a lot to me. Um, I got to meet a bunch of these Fosum crew up in Boston when we saw Bandits of the Acoustic Revolution, which is just Streetlight Manifesto with an orchestra. I got to meet Sonetta, got to see our friends, uh, Sean, uh, Sean, Sean P. Rogan, who's been on the show, who was the OG guitarist of Big D and the Kids Table, uh, was playing with them. So it was like kind of crazy for me. I'm like, I saw Matt Stewart, Pete McCulf, and Sean P. Rogan. And Sonetta, and I saw like four people who've all been on the podcast, and I was like, fuck yeah. Uh, Let's Chat is totally a ska punk podcast, which we're not, but we are. I, I love ska punk. And I think it's kind of telling what Streetlight Manifesto is because it brings in so many different people. Um, you know, check out Sonetta. Well, it's kind of a long intro, so why don't we just get into the episode with Sonetta and keep an eye on the feed. We'll be popping out some new episodes and have a new podcast for you soon. All right, let's get to it. you should meet your internet friends <laughs> and like you know this is going to be something that we, we'll look back and tell our kids or like, like in like another a few more years be like back in the day they would say don't meet strangers <laughs> on the internet but like, you know, I, I met my wife on the internet you know i'm very much an internet kid. i met my like, boyfriend real, on the internet yeah, yeah i've met your boyfriend <laughs> on the internet as well he's uh he's lovely he's a lovely man he is we a had, lovely man <laughs> got to meet him we, we got to hang out in boston and mm-hmm. no matter how cold it was he didn't complain so i gave him no credit. he didn't <laughs> I was like, dude, you are awesome. You're lucky I like you guys. Let's <laughs> explain. So 2020 hit, and uh, at that point, it was like, oh, man, everyone's home. Let's try to get the best guests we could. But at that point, I remember I was just really hitting a streak of fucking awesome guests back to back mm. to back. And I got to pull off one with um, – I was taking a course at PRX about how to like, build an online community. And I had interviewed Pete from Streetlight Manifesto, which is for anyone who may or may not know who they are. But they're – not only are they awesome and is what our friendship is based around, but they are also notoriously media shy. Like They are not mm. a band that does media or press. So it was like on a personal level, it was like, holy shit, I get to talk to Pete from Streetlight. This is so cool. That ended up happening because of my future friend, uh, John Tumalo, who plays in Folly, which it turned out you guys had set next to each other at the Botar show. Yeah, that was Tumalo. very serendipitous. Um, small world. Yeah, I remember I had talked with Pete on Instagram a little bit about uh, inviting him onto the show, and he was like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And then I don't know why, I just started to get that sense that it was never going to happen. So I hit up John, and I was like, John, I know you know Pete, blah, 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 what you guys like to do together. Uh, in our little ska hardcore world, it was kind of a, a mind-blowing for about all 12 people who care. Just <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was kind of a it's a big deal for that world, especially to Streetlight and Folly. Both exist in the ska world, and Folly's definitely been more accepted into that world. So it was really cool. But anyway, I end up in my group. It was like trying to figure out how to promote it. I just typed in Streetlight Manifesto into Facebook, and I find the group that Michelle had started, Friends of um, Streetlight Manifesto. I met so many incredible people. And so simultaneously, the pandemic is happening around this time. So I was going to join the group lead promote. End up meeting a lot of really cool people in that group, including you, obviously. And then there was like all these events, and like no one had anywhere to go. So it's like, all right, I guess we're doing 
doing karaoke tonight or I guess we're doing a movie night or it just became very close with a lot of people you being mm-hmm. one of them where I was struggling with a lot of insomnia so it'd be like three o'clock in the morning and we'd be Facebook messaging about like existentialism and, and stuff and so yeah all the things been, you um, think about at cool. nighttime yes yes exactly and uh, it was really um, it's fucking cool to be honest it became like the online scene like mm-hmm. what what like punk rock music used to be from uh, going to shows back in the day was for me which is what podcasting kind of replaced but that group kind of felt like that like we all love Streetlight was like our was our band that was the band we all love but Streetlight fans don't just love one type of music like there's people in, in that group who like, aren't familiar with ska but they love Streetlight Manifesto and mm-hmm. some of the band members may uh, felt that way when they joined the band uh, as we now know we've learned yeah I think like it was probably the prime time for like an internet community to really come together because it was right before the pandemic you know we had that community on Reddit and like obviously at shows like I don't know for me like that's why I keep coming back to Streetlight shows is really because at the end of the day like you go there and it doesn't matter if you're going by yourself you're going with a group of friends you're going with somebody else like you always end up leaving with all these connections and I've met so many friends over the years just from like you know we're in the same place at the same time and it's just it's a wonderful feeling and so during the pandemic I think a lot of people were lost people were scared if you think back to the beginning of the pandemic nobody knew what was going to end up happening nobody knew if this was going to end up being something like dire which it did turn out to be right oh yeah oh definitely and so it was nice to have that safe space where you could be yourself and be accepted and I think that's a lot of acceptance that people hadn't really even felt most of their lives other than in a small group of people especially on the internet you know there's so many trolls or so many like so much negativity and it was nice to have that place where you could be you and people had your back and it was people that you hadn't known or met before but at the end of the day it felt like you had known them all your lives and it was just a very weird phenomenon and, and especially too this is a point where I'm throw- I'm hosting tons of digital I was doing lots of virtual events simultaneously but it was authentic for me it wasn't like oh I'll go to this and then x y and z will come to my thing but it definitely happened like let's chat our brand built so much of a fan base unintentionally from the group I mean from anything right like you just if you put yourself out there or actually go to an event or do something like I forgot what it was but I remember getting invited to like a movie night or a karaoke night or something and like I so for anyone not who doesn't know us I was working at a psych hospital a psychiatric hospital during the pandemic so I, I never got that nice period of like getting laid off or having some of my own time I was just literally a ball of stress and I live in a house with my I own a home with my in-laws so we had people over 60 in the house so I was very afraid of killing them so mm-hmm. it was a terrible 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 time and I have ADD and I don't sit still very well so having that like all right Thursday at night I'm going to this karaoke night or this movie night or this like whatever it is and I'm like how does zoom karaoke work and it's kind of weird but it, what else am I going to do on Thursday night and then mm-hmm. because of that we got ended up getting to meet and then you came to like um at that period with let's chat at that period of its life I had built up the the first round of producing team which you had come on board with to work with and we were doing like a whole bunch of stuff and learned a whole lot about how to do things and now I look back to see everything I've done wrong and how to get better at it and uh, flash forward you end up introducing me to Matt from a Streetlight Manifesto who plays trumpet and he becomes a friend of ours shout out Matt but we end up doing a couple episodes together then we have some technical difficulties and lose one but then it turns into like we got to go see them play um, Botar which is Bandits of the Acoustic Revolution which is Streetlight Manifesto with an orchestra in Boston and I ended up getting to go and like I got to meet you and Tyler in real life and yep. all these wonderful people and do you remember at the concert when we walked up I walked by that strange that person who ended up having the patch that your boyfriend had made oh yeah that, that was uh, yeah that was also such a serendipitous moment it's like somebody I don't even know who that person was <laughs> still don't and I, I have don't. that too that was actually one of the early memory for me for that group was um I ended up buying the Lucky Strikers patch because it looked like something similar to the, it was like a, a, a nod to the Simpsons so okay. I was like I have to have this I don't wear patches and that was like all right I like this group but that was fun and we got to hang out with Matt after the show that was really cold but awesome it was fun to see him but my god we waited in the very 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 cold for a very long time for him yeah it's it was so cold it was actually colder in Boston in the beginning of December as it was in Canada in the middle of February so the, I'm I'm excited to do this in podcast form because there's actually a lot about you I know and a lot about you that is a bit of a an air of mystery to myself <laughs> and to a lot of people and um since I have editing power it means I can say whatever I want oh god uh, question number one no this is how uh, interviews are in all honesty this set up a scenario for you you're at a dinner party and, and someone's like so Sonetta what do you do how do you answer that because I actually don't even know how to explain you um my initial reaction would be to say oh god I think the way I'm trying to now uh compartmentalize I guess is the best way to put it um what I do 
is I see myself very much as a creative, but I, I think like if I'm going to, again, normalize, like we were saying about autism and everything, like we need to normalize things for other people because they don't see it necessarily the same way as we see it. I'd say well, call yourself a creative is kind of a cop out because what the exactly, hell does that mean? Yeah. So I, I realized Oh, cool. I'm, a, I'm also creative. Like what, what, what? <laughs> Everyone how, is. How do you, how do you pay to live where you live? Is that true? You know? Uh, I would I would always say I guess I'm an indie filmmaker who acts and writes is basically now how I'm kind of like a, a funny story actually about that is I'm going through customs the other day um, to go to California and the the security or whatever they're called customs rep the police officer basically between the borders of the countries uh, says to me what do you do and I said to her oh. Uh, well, I was a flight attendant and I'm an indie filmmaker. And her response to me was, can you make me famous? And I was like, this is not the, what I expected at the police you know, person at the border. But uh, I could try my best, I say. And then she laughs and lets me through. So I realized that you have to, like, if I had said to her, oh, I'm a creative, it sounds so sketchy, you know? Oh, like, and I, I I would punch someone in the face if they told me that, like, uh-huh. Content sure creator. Like, that's everyone nowadays. Like, uh, and, and that at least makes more sense to me. Like, okay, that's cool. You make not movie. It's all that to me now, which is funny. All that means is you don't make film, the prestigious film. I'm not like a Hollywood Cocaine director, but yeah. I dabble in the filmmaking Good. world. I made Soul Plane, so let's have some respect, people. <laughs> Or like we make fine art like as weekends like weekends at Bernie's too. So yeah, let's uh have some respect for us Hollywood type. Yeah, there are two weekends at Bernie's in case anyone's actually thinking I'm just pulling that one out of my buttocks. But it, I have never seen Weekend at Bernie's. You know, there's a lot. I, I don't think I have either. There's actually a lot of movies I don't think I've actually seen, but like through osmosis and cultural but you know references. It, yeah, that's me never with seen It's a Wonderful Life. I've not seen it, but I keep seeing yeah, like either. a Christmas time clips of it on television. Like I feel like I know the movie. Like I, I've strung it together. It's all good. I get it. I've seen. I, got yeah, exactly. I don't think I need to see it at this point. Yeah, The Godfather. Like, and at least for me, most of my knowledge is that stuff is like old Simpsons episodes. Like, I've never mm. seen Streetcar Named Desire, but I know the Simpsons parody <laughs> very well. I own it, but I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah, and, and I probably never will. I'm I'm not good at watching things, to be quite honest. Mm. Yeah, but so like, but yeah, so you would just be like, I'm an independent filmmaker, but you're also an author. Yeah, so that's I kind of throw writing in there because I I write at all of the films. Um, that I've made and have I've written a couple screenplays for other directors as well um, or co-wrote um, but I was very much always a writer I started writing since I was like six is that would you call that your your income like on your taxes are you a writer <laughs> I I, I'm not, just so I curious about not this because stuff. I'm not making very much money um, like, I yeah, the the thing is is as most probably independent artists know is you know if you're not doing the corporate stuff and you're not in the corporate world and i was in corporate videography for a long time um and that was how i was making money and making a living but that sucked me dry so i you know i'm like i don't even have time or energy now for my own creative projects i don't even want to look at it because it's just like i do it every day at work and it's, it's yep. really bumming me out so i ended up then basically just taking odd jobs and it also helps my writing a lot because then i feel like i, I seen a lot of the world in terms of that so, oh, like, so you are a writer <laughs> i am a writer yeah <laughs> is that the answer you're looking for <laughs> yeah we, we got that. <laughs> yeah what, one thing i love about you is that you're, like, you're extremely talented and you do lots of things but no and no offense but you are absolutely terrible at marketing yourself <laughs> I was like, I don't want to do that part. I I just want to create. That's where I, I come very in. Very much just a creative. Sorry to do the cop out, but I'm, yeah. I just want to create stuff. I don't want to worry about the like. Even what I found with the book, it was. Well, what's the book's name, Sonetta? Uh, Since we're bad at marketing. <laughs> So the book is called Last Words Are for Fools. Um, it is inspired by a Marx quote uh, for anyone who knows their history. And I found through the process of writing it, you know, I love writing the book. It has its own challenges when you're writing. But the learning curve for me was really figuring out how to like format it, how to put it up on these different sites for people to purchase, uh, like Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, and everything was very specific. And then on top of that, it's like, so you have the writing process, then you have the like, I don't know, publishing process, and then you have the marketing process. And it's a lot, you know, I don't mind the marketing process, but it's, you know, a beast in itself. And for me, the the most, the most nuisance thing, uh, here's the writer who doesn't know words, the most annoying part of the whole thing was really that publishing side of things, putting the book up on these sites, uh, in these different bookstores and stuff. It was like, man, I'm still doing it. And it's still frustrating 
frustrating and draining. And like I said, I just want to create. I don't want to have to worry about any of that sort of thing. Spoken like a true artist, but, um, <laughs> but you got to do you know, it. I, you know, no, it's true, right? Because like, you know, there's making music is mm-hmm. awesome. But like, or like you said, but we went to go see Botar, which was in Boston. We saw at Roadrunner, which was just absolutely mm-hmm. one of the best experiences of uh, my life. Yeah, I love, but, like, I love Botar shows. Like, I, I've only seen two, but like, it's a different Yeah, experience. we got to see a mosh pit with a fucking orchestra. Yeah, insane. like... <laughs> But now that like I'm sure I'm older and now I, I'm working in this industry and now like my planning brain has definitely changed, especially this last year since starting a new job. You're like part of you is like, how many emails that do you think they have to send to make this happen? Oh, God. like how do you how do you get like, like, yeah, how much money like you have to get just just the people on stage is one one aspect of it mm-hmm. then, then you gotta get the venue and you have to get everybody there and people have to get paid and not you know you have to get and rehearsals uh, you know, and coordinating just, everything and like all these yeah, people's schedules and sound people like none of that and like i know um sean p rogan who's uh the og guitarist for uh big d and the kids table was playing with him that night so like mm. right there that's like well that's another person i just there's just so much and then you gotta sell ticket like i guess that's true with any art so i totally get where you're coming from but let's i'd like to let's take a more a little more interested right now with you and the creative aspects of stuff so mm. you said it was inspired by like marx like so what is it about groucho marx's writing that really made you want to uh I'm sorry, I almost got through that one. <laughs> like, oh god. <laughs> I tried so hard. I was like so proud of that too. I I like heard you say it and I like literally looked at my phone to look up the Marx Brothers. I'm like, oh damn it, that would have been so classic if I could have kept that going. Damn it. Cause your face was pretty class was pretty I wish I could screen it just like, <laughs> just like a deer in headlights. Like, um, like shit, I have to correct I that, was not expecting complicated questions. <laughs> Yeah, no, no. It was a just... quote I liked, and that's the important part. <laughs> but it wasn't Gra- it wasn't Groucho. I don't uh, know the other Marsh Brothers, so I couldn't think of any of them. <laughs> uh, well, actually, I, I could speak to that though. Like for in the second chapter of the book, the actually uh, backing up. Uh, um, so the premise of the book is essentially I, I mark it as an anti-romance, um, but I do think it actually is quite a love story, and it it's about a girl who's in um, let's say an abusive relationship, and it's really about her finding the strength to leave that situation and really have faith and and find faith in life and in herself and essentially live. And so we kind of have this journey with the character, and then throughout it, there's like different chapters. All the chapters are compartmentalized, so it's like you read one chapter and it's very much poetic prose so not all of it is it's all connected but it's all one-off pieces is the best way to describe it and so there's a storyline through it that's very much like uh talking about basically the androgynous souls philosophy and you know finding your soulmate essentially but in the second chapter she's talking about last words and what all these last words of famous basically historians or philosophers or uh celebrities i guess even um throughout time and how like the impact a last word has and it could be the last word before you you know part to the afterlife or it could be the last word that you say to somebody else maybe you you know have a breakup or even leaving a job uh what the impact words really have on an individual and even on like how you're received as a particular person um so that's kind of where the title came from i guess is my (laughs) rambling way of saying all this from just watching duck soup huh (laughs) <laughs> I've not even seen Duck Soup, so I mean either. I just to be if we're gonna be honest, uh, we're, if we're gonna be vulnerable today, it is a reference from the Gilmore Girls that I'm referencing. <laughs> I also have not seen Gilmore Girls, despite it being my mom's favorite show. Oh, uh, it's um, I'm a Johnny Come Lately. I didn't watch it until after I watched the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, ah, which is the same show. people, yep. and I loved it. And then I remember I was walking through the room one day, and Victoria was watching the Netflix version, the newest um of the uh the Gilmore Girls because they, they rebooted mm. it some years later, which I would recommend that if just start and then it's really good like man the paladinos you actually kind of see the dna of what miss mazel becomes in the netflix show with like camera movements mm-hmm. and these cool one shots like and miss mazel too it, it does seem like they're like okay we just need to have the family walking into their summer home in the in, in the catskills mm-hmm. how could we make this as hard as possible yeah i'll you know, do a one let's do a one shot we'll have the camera pull away and have all the actors just do and we'll have <laughs> and like they just go out of their way can I um tell you my favorite scene, possibly of any television series ever created? Yeah, As, of course. Yeah. 
Are you caught up on Miss Maisel like you saw the last season? Yes, and I will, uh, you know, start this by saying, yes, I didn't, I was not fond of the direction that the show ended up going. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, This is just more separate from just the one scene of that Mm. uh, season, though, uh, which I'm kind of with you. I was a little, though I did like the stuff with Lenny. But it's a scene when Lenny and Midge are in, uh, oh, no, he's the best. That scene when Lenny and Midge are in um, Florida and they're at that, like, um, restaurant or the bar and it cuts to, like, this guy singing, um, something like dangerous love but in spanish Mm. and it's just and the camera just follows the guy around the entire venue and then it cuts to different music but it's just him like at the end of it it's just this you don't even see lenny or midge until the very end but you just see this guy like like screaming as long beautiful spanish music Mm. it's one of the most romantic sensual scenes of any it's one of my favorite scenes ever made just like what they do with the camera and the tone and the color and their art direction too like i that's the word this is why you're creative (laughs) for me i i'm really fond of art direction in uh cinema or in cinema or in television same makes or breaks it um especially I like, like that in content creation too yeah i think in anything it's especially like any marketing or any sort of like visual content i think it's key and it makes it something like stand out or pop or feel more modernized versus you know so like i don't know it says everything it's like you could study color theory essentially right and color Which I've been starting to do different things yeah. so it's, it kind of goes along with that um and that was i've been learning i'm oh, sorry Oh no, what were you going to say? Nothing important, so you go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say for for Mrs. Maisel, for me, that was a big thing that drew me in was the, I love long takes in anything. And so they do a lot of long takes. I love the art direction, the colors they choose, the costumes. It's all great. And I love that kind of quick, witty humor. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I think they got, nailed it. Ask your mom her thoughts about the ending of the series finale of Gilmore Girls. Because the, 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 the second favorite scene of everything ever is the episode of the last of the Netflix season when they um the wedding mm. I won't, i'm not really spoiling anything but it's just very well done yeah okay, cool. yo the art direction of it is pretty great i never watched you know what's funny i never watched it and i thought i hated it and it's because i misremembered a mad tv sketch of it oh. so i always thought that the mad tv sketch was just like you know you just mm-hmm. in your brain i just i never watched it because i just i don't know i don't even know what it was on but it's it's actually really it's odd too because it takes place in connecticut where i'm from and i just had no interest in it until years <laughs> later maybe that's why right right didn't but, feel um, foreign right. or exotic so you're indie filmmaker a writer an mm. author now are, but a hobbyist stop motion stop mo person yeah so I, I actually during the pandemic i started dabbling in animation a bit and i find so i i did some stop motion i love stop motion um i need to get like a proper like setup for it i think you know i'm a perfectionist so like i start doing something if it's not perfect i end up spending like a gazillion hours in the digital side of things trying to fix it and it drives me absolutely crazy um so i'd love Sounds to get right. like yeah proper like kind of setup for things I did just start working on an animation a couple weeks ago that's like an 8-bit style animation. Very short, probably silent. So that's kind of the current project I'm working on while I start pre-production on essentially what's going to be my next book and my first feature film. So I'm pretty excited. So you're already writing your next book while you have to get the first one out? Yeah, that's why I, like I need it, you know, it's compart- I need to compartmentalize things. So it's like the, the book's basically done. There was issues with Amazon, so should have been done by now and then they had issues with the proof even though I had approved the proof so I didn't really understand what their delay was but essentially it's just really now Amazon and then continuing marketing and stuff but are you ever trying to go the publishing route down the road I had considered it my issue with it is that I intend to create books that become my films so I don't want to really give up my rights to anybody else because it makes it very complicated you're so thinking ahead (laughs) no I love that I love that I mean, I guess, is there like a single word? I guess is producer the right word to, to encapsulate it? all of you um i try to stay away from producing but yeah i i I think producer is probably what kind of encompasses me because or i guess filmmaker that's why i say filmmaker because it's kind of it's more broad so it kind of um, i always find it so douchey like i do too and that's why i always say like like, you made weekends of the bernies too you're not Uh, christopher nolan no i know but you're not like an auteur yet yet not yet but i i will say and this is me being not humble for a moment (laughs) finally (laughs) that's why i've been trying here is I am happy to say that I am beginning to see the specs of my auteurship. And that was something that was really big for me when I was an undergraduate student, because, you know, we had the study of auteurs and I love like Wes Anderson and 
uh, Kubrick and Tarantino. So it was like they have a very distinct style. And when I go back now and rewatch my work, while it's not really up to my standard, I do see those themes coming out. I do see like my use of color and my art direction because art direction for me is a big thing. Um, and symbolism really is the big thing for me actually is how you know an image or the way something is shot how that symbolizes like what's happening or the mood or what i'm trying to convey in terms of theme so i i'm beginning to see remnants um but no i am certainly not there (laughs) like because like you're you're um you're someone i would say like i i I there's a saying like there's musicians 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 so there's like people who are professional sexual musicians and then the people that try and it doesn't work out the way they want but they're still playing the they're still playing guitar in the bar every saturday night you you strike me as that person because it seems like the this stuff is in your dna at every level like a lot of like the streetlight stuff too like you you were the and a shout out to our Fosum crew if they're listening but like you became this unofficial like organizer and like all right we're gonna have a, a fa- there's gonna be a Fosum meetup in boston i'm gonna make the facebook event and here's the cool flyer and here's some fun art and side note the amount of creativity of people in the Fosum crew of like who like the that world is just i was gonna <laughs> make a comment earlier when you mentioned about how like you ended up getting a big bigger following from just even being present in Fossum and that's something I love the most and even with my book like I found like the thing that I was basically and anybody who's bought my book is from Fossum I will (laughs) will put that out there for the most part there's a couple other people but for the most part all the sales so far have been through Fossum basically and the thing with Fossum that I realized and the type of people that ended up kind of gathering there is most of them are creatives quote-unquote most of them have their own kind of creativity or, or artistic ventures that they do everyone is so supportive of everyone else and they're really big on you know supporting other artists like you know encouraging their work supporting their work in terms of either buying it or just like giving shout outs or whatever it is like this was just a, a big thing i noticed and felt like yeah. it's so rare especially for an internet community to have so many people that are all so like-minded in terms of that regard no it's it's incredible i it I, i'm with you and i don't think i ever would use the word creative to describe myself up until like a year ago and mm-hmm. even now I still feel weird saying it but it's only because my two bosses keep instilling it in me in every single day in my, <laughs> in, brainwashed. my creative, in my creative work that I do no it's uh, this is like a really full circle moment for me too because like you know I remember like we we, we just we became really good friends pretty quickly like very mm-hmm. like I like say like almost like I would I, arguably my like it's like almost on a molecular level at some point mm-hmm. like I don't know what it is but like well I mean I think we both have like various level of LDs we've been diagnosed with or whatever Mm -hmm. like streetlight for whatever reason like you were just one of those people you i always i I think i'm sure i told you you remind me so much of like one of my closest friends since i've known since i was senior junior senior of high school became friends and that was 2001 so it's been a long time (laughs) uh my friend crystal riley you just remind me very much of her which i've always said to people is she's phoebe from friends okay i yeah i can see that just yeah i I get that i I love that for myself just saying yeah (laughs) no you got a real like i I don't even actually argue for you a little more lisa kudrow as well because now learning more about her being fucking awesome just i incredible. love her i love her i love everything she does i do you ever watch the comeback i did watch the comeback yep i should have just thrown this whole podcast episode and just separate and just focus on that because that i watched that show decade after it aired because i'm obsessed with like i also watched oh sorry i also watched it uh delayed I, I watched it like yeah. the last couple of years. Amazing. Amazing. For anyone who doesn't know, it's an HBO show. Did one season and then a decade, like maybe 15 years later, they did. They just last recently did a, a, a new season. Mm-hmm. But it's it's Lisa Kudrow, post Friends, making a show about a washed up actress making her comeback. And it's kind of like a spoof on like reality television and stuff like that. It's like Arrested Development level 30 Rock style humor. It's yeah, just it. fucking incredible. <laughs> uh, yeah, but anyway, I put that on you and I really attracted to those types of people. And I don't remember what any of this was going so if you can help me uh, out are, are you saying chris that i'm a washed up actor i'll take it hey, <laughs> hey you know what though to be fair there's a scene in the show that the, you could tell i'm an adult where her and her husband go to figure out dinner and they're like oh no, no let's get something from the men like and it looks like they're gonna go grab a recipe book and they just pull out a thing of takeout menus and that <laughs> moment you're like no matter what anyone puts on you if you have enough financial means to live in your own home and get takeout every night of the week yeah you would fucking to me that's well <laughs> you've made it like that's, that's all i want like everything else is gravy like i just want to have a nice house i'll be honest i want a nice ass house where i could 
take one or take and i can afford to take up take up every night that's all i ever want in life to me that's quite a lot yeah um, it's especially oh. nowadays unfortunately that's the thing oh yeah i was gonna go back to it yeah so um like i don't know i felt like, felt like this kind of immediate like deep connection to you uh and i think vice versa and but i thought that was so many people in the group but it was just i don't know there there's just there is something special about it but you did be kind of come at least in my eyes like the organizer of everything if it was asked or not asked it's like all of a sudden you're getting invited <laughs> I to, think like, it was a, a very very uh deeply not asked in some uh in some cases but that's, i think it's just playful teasing so it's all good. yeah 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 but you you, you need the planner because uh yeah. like i married a type a because i have a hard time getting things done but like you know what's cool like you um and then, but then every time we talk we find out we have like so many even just now we have so many similar interests i would never expect like mm. we both are obsessed with like documentaries like obsessive yeah, yeah. when i got to moderate and uh produce that panel with the punk rock documentaries mm-hmm. filmmakers roundtable you and the Fosum crew came out and were so supportive and i know i've gotten to introduce you to some of those people too which was really cool yeah thank you for that i think was it taylor right uh taylor and uh john he also maybe? helped me with the other dude who uh works on robot chicken oh john myers john. oh john andrew myers. and you helped I... me with john myers yes <laughs> just so i don't say the john other myers dude, i love him <laughs> he's gotta come i gotta get him back on yeah he's uh he's a good egg yeah smart and, uh, and they're smart, smart folks and very kind it's very rare to find smart successful kind people in the world i find i, I think it's because i met taylor right before he kind of became mm. successful in his world like the last blockbuster had not come out but he had given me a screening before we did that thing nice before we put that together and i remember watching that being like oh this is gonna be well, i mean I don't know what huge in the world of documentary is, is, but I remember watching it thinking it was really good. I'm like, this has real potential to do big things. And yeah. And of course, I mean, we, did, we did. got. Yeah. It, yeah. It did. <laughs> He's doing the Build a Bear doc now. I, yeah, I heard that. And it's funny because that guy just takes like all of these things that I love and am and, and so fascinated by. He, he's just been doing them all. And that's why I love his work because, and I feel it, probably it's very nostalgic for a lot of people. But it's like the topics like Ska, Blockbuster, and Build a Bear. Like these are like crucial parts of my identity so i'm so so glad that somebody's someone's do yeah and i actually I, I even told this to taylor the because he, he also was awesome enough to do the show as well i was not a blockbuster person like we my uncle owned mm-hmm. chain of video stores in boston growing up so out of solidarity we never went to a blockbuster we were only allowed to go to like non-chain stores <laughs> yeah they really were so like i legitimately fucking hate blockbuster i don't care about it like there's nothing about that documentary that was like oh cool the 90s blockbuster uh. but this but the fact that he found that beautiful story about sandy and the mm-hmm. mil- finding your family which is true to F- fosum as well or to a lot of like what we do a lot of stuff that attracts us is finding that like kind of misfit oddball family yeah um and then scott picking up the 90s was incredible which obviously and then i didn't see his refreshments one i heard that was really good i think that's the first one he made it was about the do you know the band that did the king of the hill theme song the Uh, I I kind of, but I haven't really even seen King of the Hill, so. Oh, yeah. It's like, I guess it was a crazy story that they were a local band that, like, did that theme song and became very successful and then drugs and all these horrible things. And I didn't want, my friend Brian, who actually did my logo, actually was telling me all about it. And it turned out Taylor had made it. I was like, oh, that's cool. (laughs) And he was, and it it turned about how that band, like, had this opportunity and then ended up making it, how they, all the ups and downs made it, like, as an indie band, essentially. Like, managing themselves, which is kind of a, a, yeah, that's here nor there. Yeah, we always have so many things in common, like um, you know, docs. And then I know when we uh, when we did our Let's Chat Live, was it our eighth birthday? We teamed up with See Alive and we did a um, uh, watch party of Spider Man into the Spider Verse. Yeah, and I remember like such a great film. Spending like an hour talking to you about Spider Verse. I was like, wait, what? You also <laughs> like Spider Verse? <laughs> So Spider-Verse for me was such an interesting experience because so I used to basically go to the movies and see like everything that was out. I said that that was like my research. It's my work. Um, (laughs) But Spider-Verse, I went in having absolutely no context. And if you know anything about me, I love superheroes, but I've gone to the point just i don't know in my life or whatever that i feel like i've seen too many of them so i always go in kind of with this bad perception of it's just gonna be like another spider-man movie it's just gonna be another like whatever and so i kind of like i knew it was obviously about spider-man because it's called into the spider-verse but went in didn't really have any context didn't even know it was animated i sat down and i was like absolutely just blown away like it ended up being one of my favorite movies of all time actually it's funny too because the guys in front of us they were sitting in those like moving chairs so i had 
again like the remnants of that like moving my chair with me kind of like while i'm watching it i'm just like this is like i was laughing like i was i was actually in the theater grinning the entire time just because of the joy it brought me so i was so excited when he ended up doing the movie night for it because i'm like you know any opportunity to geek out and watch some spider-verse i'm into no i mean it's yeah it's my favorite movie ever made i'm literally uh getting a tattoo tattoo. i'm wearing my spider-verse shirt as we speak i noticed that actually i was gonna make a comment (laughs) and uh i I put it on because i knew we were talking on my spider-man uh pants on um (laughs) You know the, that my favorite scene, one of my, well, my favorite, but there's that scene that I think speaks to me the most, well, no, I love all of it, but the art where he does the no expectations and the, you know, when he does the spray paint. Yeah. So yeah. For a long time, I was going to get Miles falling that, that scene of him falling, but like, I don't know, I ended up falling and I ended up getting this, I think I showed it to you, I know I showed it to you last time, the art of the movie book. And so I was, mm-hmm. just saw the art concept art of it and I was like, that's it. I need to have that tattoo. Nice. The, I want someone to take that and then replace the words and make it say, let's chat with Chris Rock. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll get there. Cool. God, I know you've just done so many things like i know you've made documentaries you've done write books and make, make movies but you're also like a airline attendant as well just like to travel for free yeah i was a flight attendant for a bit um did you like that i i guess i'll get political for a second i feel like we need to i have a lot of respect for flight attendants I, a lot of people don't realize that most of the time they're working they're not actually getting paid and i think that's, that's very kind of unfortunate up. it always blows everyone's minds the only time a flight attendant is paid is when the aircraft actually starts taking off also oh, they're delayed if they're delayed you know doing the security checks getting people onto a plane dealing with the baggage all that they're not getting paid for when they do the safety demo not getting paid for it's the That's second the plane it. takes off and land so it's by like airtime. and when they have a layover in between so you know like time for people to, to get off the plane and people to get back on the plane they're not getting paid for that and it's just like so that is a big element of it and i found for me like while i love i love traveling i love culture i love working with people there are a lot more things that i i won't go into just because it's kind of not really sure. a place to say at this time but there are a lot of things that i really love about it and then a lot of things that are really disappointing to me about it and so that's really at the end of the day and especially with the pandemic and now airlines seem to be very lazy in terms of delays and stuff just fly private <laughs> on my private uh, private jet yeah okay you private jet, so what are you doing <laughs> I want to be a person of the people. <laughs> I am the people. But, well, I know airline talk is the least important thing of what we're doing here today. So that, I'm just kind of curious. Yes, it's still fascinating to note, though, that a lot of people don't realize like how the flight attendants get paid and they're not getting paid that much more than minimum wage. So it really doesn't add up Oof. for the did, amount of hours they're working a lot of the time. Now, can you said this earlier. Um, mm. did, have you actually do you, do you have like a formal diagnosis of the TISM? Uh, so I have nonverbal learning disability. So it falls on the autism spectrum yes okay um, yeah. i was actually making a documentary about it for a long time uh and i, still I, I know that because someone in the group you interviewed i don't i can't remember their name really? i don't remember anything but somewhere down the line someone's like yeah i met sonetta she was making a doc on nlvd some years ago and that's what the I heck i didn't see this i don't remember i it was like literally oh, on one of those karaoke nights you weren't at that someone said it and i forgot oh. i don't know why if they hear it please remind me because i don't remember yeah, but too. i thought that was cool that's probably one of the reasons we connected because i think i um so i i ld as well but i uh, i went to landmark college and and um, I remember, did I point blank just ask you, like, Sinead, do you have NLVD? I might have done that. That's I think you asked me if I had autism, like, straight out. Or, or spectrum disorder, because yeah, as spectrum, we yeah. are aware, it is a it is a spectrum. Like, my, my brother-in-law would be, well, they don't, they got rid of Asperger's, but he's like, Asperger would be Asperger's, mm-hmm. which we like to call ass hamburgers and then laugh every time, <laughs> which is the reason I watch Community. Like, I remember watching the first episode of Community and be like, Pierce, he has autism or Asperger's. Well, if it's so serious, why don't they call it, why don't they call it ass hamburgers? And yeah. I just <laughs> laughing. But like, I think that that NLVD aspect of uh, that diagnosis, I've, I've known plenty of people with it. And there's something I actually, I love NLVD kids because there's Thank just, you. and especially like you're such a, um, you're not good at hiding things. Like, yeah, if, not at all. I'm a terrible liar. Yeah. Same here. I can't like lie. <laughs> you always like your default, like, you know, you've heard of rest and bitch face. You have rest and smiley face. Oh, geez. Like <laughs> you're just true. always so look true. happy. <laughs> yeah. You just, you always just look happy. But like, I imagine, I'm wondering how much that like you now can look back as of a 
affected both your work, your your writings, and your interactions with other people and relationships. Like I now look back at my own LD to realize like it definitely there's a lot of shit that went with it, but it also in a lot of weird ways brought me to people. We, I know we both mm-hmm. have that in common. We're both lightning rods for uh, emotional connection, like friend collector types. And when you throw the NLVD or the any of like my ADD or my dyslexia or CAPD or central auditory in there, there's something about it that kind of gives you golden energy. And it's like because some people are like I only talk to, they don't consciously think this, but like I stay in my lane. I only talk to these people, but people like you and me, I'm like I will talk to literally everyone. Yeah, every everyone type of and anyone. Being. Come on in. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I've worked in behavioral health. I, I mean, I I have friends who are millionaires. I've known people who are uh, friends who are unhoused. Like I've or I've worked with. Like, I've I, I know this. I've interacted and have personal or professional relationships with the entire spectrum of human beings. Exactly, uh, and even like ages, and like criminals, non-criminals. Yeah, I mean, I've at my old job, I used to have to work with both the abuser and the abused. So mm-hmm. like, it helps you be a better host. So mm-hmm. my long-winded point is that does the NLVD? How do you think that like shapes all of your experiences to make the creative work you make and relationships and whatnot? I love this question. Um, and this was kind of what I was exploring. It only took me an hour to get to something good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think it was important what you said, though. That was kind of what that documentary was actually about, because uh, essentially I feel like my personal belief system is that the education system is not made for really anyone. It's made to basically put you in, regurgitate information, and then like spit you out and kind of pass a test. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like it's just all regurgitation. It literally just teaches you to regurgitate information. So that was kind of the premise that I had had when I was working on that documentary, and I realized that it actually becomes a question of so much more than that especially because you know the educational world and the like when you go to work that's the majority of your life when we really think about it the majority of your time is spent either in school basically being taught to conform or in work being taught to conform and the thing I really love about the spectrum is that it's this great group of people who I feel like their very nature is to do the total opposite like they're just very much themselves and very much in in their own soul and almost unapologetically in their own soul the thing that I think is a shame is like when we were talking about masking and you know like everybody wants to feel like they fit in everybody wants to feel like they're you know not an alien not abnormal and I feel like now the world is kind of getting to that place where we are accepting that everyone's different but for a while when I was first diagnosed that wasn't the case and you're kind of treated like you're disabled because you learn and think differently you're you're an outsider you're not like all of us and I was really disheartened when so I went to Colorado for an NVLD it was like a weekend kind of conference thing there's tons of these parents there who had you know young children and when they started talking about their their children they would say things like why aren't they normal why are they like this why are they <laughs> is my mic placement weird no it was me i was oh, listening okay. was trying <laughs> like to make... trying to get closer like I, am i talking no about you're this? fine i was like if i move it here it looks like a penis was literally what was going through <laughs> my mind but i was listening because i have a dd as i know you understand i was like i don't want it to look like a dick but maybe i do if it a lot. But she might not notice and that was what's going i on thought it mind. was like subliminal like you gotta get closer to the mic so i kept like well, <laughs> look at you actually being professional and talking serious i'm like does this look like a cock <laughs> This looks funny. I'm like, is wow, so that is really saying something special here. Maybe I should make more wiener jokes. <laughs> and this is essence of our friendship. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'm glad it wasn't my mic place, but that's important. No. Moral of the story, <laughs> moral of the story is that it broke my heart to hear parents talking about their children as if they weren't normal. I guess it's basically at the end of the day how to sum it up. It's They even use me as an example. And they're like, so Sonetta's like this. Why is my kid not like that? And that was so infuriating to me because I'm like, you don't even know all the masking I'm doing just sitting here for starters. And your kid's yeah. like, you know, like seven years old. Let them be a kid. They're, they're still learning. They're still growing. Don't medicate them. Like maybe in, uh, I won't go into that but I, I don't believe in medicating children let the child be the child and I don't know they're just like trying to basically fit them into a box and I'm like the wonderful qualities of a human being is what makes them different it's these differences that that make them who they are rather than just like another you know cog in the machine essentially uh so this is my long-winded answer of, t- of trying to answer your question which is that I think that you know I was diagnosed with NVLD when I was 17 I was diagnosed as I have NVLD and I'm gifted and it took me a while to figure out the bad balance of that because I'm like how could I be gifted but have a learning disability that to me seems really like weird and now I'm just about to go off to post-secondary what does this mean and I remember even bringing my like document to um, a professor in university and saying like "Uh, I have a learning disability I have to give you this paperwork and stuff for like no exemptions or whatever and it was for screenwriting and he literally looked at me he's like I don't know what you want me to do with this and I like stood there and I was like I don't even know what to do with this and it was just that moment of realization that's like I don't like at the end of the day I didn't know what it meant I didn't 
know know what this diagnosis meant for me or for my life because I didn't feel different, especially because for, you know, 17 years of my life, I lived in a very just assuming this is who I am. And I think that's what I had on me over all these little kids that ended up being diagnosed because while it's good to know your strengths and your weaknesses, if people are putting these negative labels on you and saying that, you know, you're different for this and you're weird for this, then they end up medicating you or, or treating you like these are actual weaknesses that can't be fixed or resolved or accommodated for. And I feel like I kind of almost got the leg up because, you know, I was older. So it was like my own kind of process of learning. Okay, what does this mean for me? How do I work with these strengths and weaknesses? And in the end of the day, like realizing that I'm not quote unquote disabled or maybe I'm different, but I'm not like, you know, what a lot of the doctors were saying at the time about it or how society was perceiving it. Um, So I think it just makes me me is really uh, to answer the question. (laughs) Well, I think one of the things it does is you're like uh, where most people would be like, Maybe I don't need to take the responsibility of setting up group event pages for all these groups that I'm not attending all over the world, but <laughs> but that's also what makes us love you. And, you know, I'm sure like myself and Clue, I've definitely come across personality types that don't get a vibe with me very well. Yeah, me um, people either people love me I, or hate me, I find. It's ne- never, people are never oh. indifferent. <laughs> I, I find like people who like um, order or like OCD types and I struggle very much. Mm. Uh, according to my wife, I'm a agent of chaos to them. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> while Mary, uh, while her father has ACD and I mean, he's the fucking man, but there, there's some times I'm sure he wants to kill me, rightfully so. <laughs> but uh, no, he's, I love John. He's the best, Papa, he's the best. Yeah, no, it is funny. But I, I guess that to me, it makes sense though, because you do so many things that most normal people, you know, to use or that most aren't hot. Like, stop motion is not a hot most people have but part of like the ld aspect at least for the adhd for me is the hyper focus yeah it seems yeah, like exactly. you kind of get a bit of that too it's like oh I, not just a bit like that is like the only way my focus works yeah yeah i wouldn't be surprised if you have add it usually doesn't just join tiktok and if in if all of your get recommended add videos that's how you know uh, when they actually sent me in for the psychological um analysis to figure out what was going on my doctor was sending me to get a diagnosis of add or adhd and when they did the um assessment the doctor said to me you know you don't have ADHD or ADD to my opinion we could continue the testing but I think that the NVLD and the gifted is what you're struggling with so like I I mean half of the yeah like I have ADHD but ADHD affects everyone especially women differently so it's not even like my ADHD is going to be the same to your ADHD it's just yeah ADHD just means that you're born with a dopamine deficiency so you're um you're you're a dopamine addict and why it looks like you're losing it's not it may appear that you lose attention and track easily it's essentially you just get bored you're just chasing (laughs) dopamine which I think is a lot of why like live music concerts and stuff always really appealed to me especially the ones I went to like probably you two like the hardcore punk ska shows where like they weren't sit down venues it was like literally a hall where you're dancing and jumping and diving through chairs and getting in fight well not me but like almost getting in fights but like just like being fucking bullshit crazy Mm -hmm. like I'm gonna stage dive or whatever or a mosh or skanking or something like, i miss skate stage diving oh my god dude the last time i stage dive was uh i actually got to tell this to dave um it was a big d in the kids table flaming tsunamis melt banana and uh i think and folly folly played too it was fucking crazy show it was at this old venue it's got a new name now it's called the empress ballroom i think it's called like the heirloom art center in Derbury, connecticut so they were notorious they had like an eight six or maybe like an eight or ten foot stage like you would stand in front of the stage and still have to look up okay like but it wasn't it was a very small venue standing room only kind of thing maybe Mm -hmm. uh i could be wrong with the details maybe like 500 people it was was small but i remember me and andy from flaming tsunamis oh okay no flaming tsunamis weren't playing it was big d folly and mel banana andy was hanging out he plays in uh flaming tsunamis and um i think better than albert now he's an awesome vegan outreach activist he was on a long time back good guy if you will him and i are both heavier men uh stage dive and i pushed off too high i went over the crowd and you just saw like the sea of people move oh god and <laughs> hit the ground sli- and my head Yikes. sliced open and blood uh. everywhere so never again <laughs> i thought you were gonna stage dive at uh, uh botar i don't think you can stage dive anymore because security's there yeah which I like they blocked it. it off so it's like all crowd surf and i, I crowd surf now my last crowd surfing though was at um streetlight in montreal and my dress came totally off and i was so ashamed and embarrassed that i don't know if i'll ever crowd surf again it was just like i felt so violated yeah and they had the camera on stage too i'm like they probably just got a crotch shot that sucks You're like, oh god, yeah, of course, of course, right? Such an LD kid, like everyone else is like, well, why would you stage dive with the skirt? You're yeah, like, well, no, that's impulsive. what Sarah said to me, and I had the and I wanted on. to. <laughs> like, I have my glasses on too, and they broke, and they're still like now they're like all wonky. Like it just yeah, this yeah. is like every, you tell the story to everyone. They're like, why the fuck did you do that? And I'm like, that sounds right. I would have yeah. done the exact same thing. <laughs> 
I probably would have lift your leg. I'm like, let's go. I, I really think about it. I just wanted yeah, it's to very much answer possible. this time. Oh my God. Um, so I did, the last episode we did that didn't end up coming out because of uh, technical reasons, we did have some really awesome questions for you from our FOSUM group. <laughs> and I did tell everyone I was going to try to get them in. And since we're getting to do a second one, now we can do it again. All right. <laughs> Are you cool with this? Hit me with them. So we have some questions that I actually never, ever, ever do this, but because of FOSUM and truly FOSUM, I hope, um, I hope I get to shout you out enough in this group. All right. So Adam Gardner wants to know if you would fight one horse-sized chicken or a hundred chicken-sized horses. Okay, so one horse-sized chicken or a hundred chicken-sized horses. Yeah. Um, hmm. <laughs> I don't want to fight any of them. <laughs> I'm very much not well, a fighter. If you think, let's be honest though, like a chicken sized horse is not that small. A chicken sized. Yeah, it's true. And I feel like, you know, the way I see it is it's like, are you going to fight one thing or a hundred things? And I'm going to say one thing because I think karmically, like it's better for my karma if I only fight one thing than a hundred. Well, if they were, if, if they were smaller in size, like if chickens were like a baby, if it was a chick, like a hundred horse sized chickens the size of a chick, then fuck yeah. But you can't just step on a fucking horse sized chicken. You're fucked. I'm, well, I guess it's your question. <laughs> But I also feel like if it's something smaller than me, I can't like crush it. Mm. You know. But how are you gonna how are you gonna fight a fucking horse sized chicken? Like I would probably just uh, let it win. I don't know. Because I know the fighter. only the only option would be a, like a chicken. You want to grab by the legs, hold it upside down with a knife, and then just take the knife and go. Oh like, my take, god! Take the head right off. I would not I be know. able to even do that. If I, it was like an apocalypse, I would be out. Like I would be food within the first day. I'm not. I wish Adam was here to give us more information. But like, what kind of tools <laughs> yeah, do I like, necessarily? Like, more questions. Like we have some more questions about the murder. Like, and is this to the death or is it just like? Because like if I can just get hit once and get knocked out, I'll call it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to die. But Adam did have a real question for you too. Mm. Uh, where do you get your inspiration for your books or films? And Adam, I'll tell you right now, you're probably not going to get a real answer out of Renata because I don't think she knows. Oh, and also asked if we can get Matt Stewart to come back uh, with us again. And would, lo- would I love to have Matt. Would back love again. that. Yeah, Matt, that's uh, the balls in your court there, Mr. Matthew. The thing I I and I'm actually. I'm happy to say Matt's a friend. Like the three of us have a, a had a thread going. He is one of the most introspective people I've ever met. He's a very philosophical dude. That's um, the word. If anybody has anything that they're pondering in terms of philosophy, he's the person to talk to. And I'm just like, hey, Matt, you do the dude dudes on your trumpet. It's like, well, yeah, Chris, actually, uh, trumpets go back to the blah 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 blah, blah, blah 19 something and the roots of jazz music and how black Americans and just like will just blow your mind. Yeah, uh, honestly, he's, he's truly besides the fact that he plays in one of my favorite bands it's beyond that he's just become one of my favorite humans like mm-hmm. i know for a fact we could do a podcast with him and uh, not even talk about street light it, it could doesn't even have to come up oh 100 even our last one was it was more about like we were talking about god and like the meaning of life yeah i remember oh, him God. talking about being like deities and being black in america deities. And really being yeah, that that. Was what it was. i've done that before i remember having um i had benny uh horowitz on from the gaslight anthem and we didn't even talk about music at all i don't think his band name even got mentioned like it just it turned to him making it into a therapy episode that's yeah. the best type of conversations i feel like though because that's even with me like i feel like when i start talking about my art and stuff it's like uh it's weird like you want to have a real conversation you don't want to talk about i don't know i I don't know how to describe it you would not be good on talk shows without some prepping yeah i wouldn't be Uh, because i would just i'm very much like whatever topic kind of comes up i somebody was saying to me yesterday friend of mine that i know um (laughs) i know a little about a lot and that's very much me and so it's like if somebody even says like a word i'll be like oh my god i have to like say this one thing so i think that i'm very much like just a rambler type talk about whatever and i i probably have something i can kind of throw in there but when it's like i have to it's the hyper focus probably actually when i have to like talk about a topic that isn't like right fresh on my brain then it's a whole other of story. course <laughs> so we got another ant question from the lovely julia dwyer who was there i remember oh yeah we julia, julia was there were, yeah. was drunk sonetta honest when she said she loved me at the botar show in boston <laughs> or was it the alcohol p.s i love you sonetta <laughs> I love you, Julia. Drunk Sonetta. She's got the coolest lies. glasses, by the way. She does, and she. Like has whenever the I think of Julia, I think of her. Well. Yeah, like her. What's her boyfriend's name? I forgot his name. Peter. He was there too. Uh, Peter. Awesome dude. Peter. Oh, he's so. They were the best. Was she the one that? Um, were they there because they had something in Boston? There was somebody who was there. Yeah, she who had. She had her graduation cool. in Berkeley. Yes, and it just happened to be the same as the show, so we yep. all got to hang out, and it was awesome. And like, yeah, that was God. I that was such a weird experience for me. I'm gonna harp back on it because it was. 
was like I went to that concert by myself knowing the only person I knew there was like Matt and Sean but they were playing and you mm-hmm. but like and then I, I just went solo and just like all of a sudden found a group of people that I had never met in person but I think I already knew and then we were all just like we just got food and hung out it like it wasn't weird that none of us had ever met before like I, when we saw each other or like even Julia or any of those people it wasn't even like oh my god it's nice to meet you it's like hey what's up and just we just started talking as if yeah it things... was like oh my gosh I haven't seen you in so long kind of feeling it no, was just like, like we've never been in the same state neither am I in the same room <laughs> yeah exactly like it's like yeah it's very very unworldly experience it's the best way to describe it it almost makes you believe like in like past lives or like uh, soul groups or something because it's like otherwise like I don't know how all these people just like melded like it's just oh we got some good questions from Robin is a hot dog a taco is a hot dog a taco Yes. It's cereal soup. Yes. I'd never thought of that one, but I was like, yes. I mean, it's technically, if you're having Cheerios, yeah, you're eating you got grain. Yeah, you got the liquid in there, and then you got some other stuff. Oh, what's yeah, there is, like, what's, what's that cold um soup called with the tomatoes? Like, capacha? With the tomatoes? There's a tomato soup that's, you serve it cold. I'm thinking of a Simpsons episode. Oh, <laughs> so this gonna... is, like, soup defined by it being, like, a hot liquid. Yeah, it's like, all the soups I like are hot, but if you already have a soup, so, all right. I guess the answer is yes. And most, uh, most importantly, and this might get us some uh controversy is streetlight manifesto a ska band ska band if you will <laughs> uh in my personal opinion i think they're punk rock if anything they're ska punk and that's just simply because i don't feel like they and i don't i'm not a music person so please don't quote me on this but ska music is defined by that sort of uh tempo or the beat count or whatever i don't know i don't know music terms but it's the number you know like four four time or whatever something like that and i don't think streetlight falls into that i think they have brass and they are a big you know have a lot of members so it seems like they're a ska band but i think that they fall more into punk rock don't kill me uh ska punk i'm gonna say ska punk (laughs) yeah there was a hard times article it was like opinion streetlight manifesto i forgot what it was the joke like uh it doesn't suck or they're not a ska something like but i remember Mm. reading it to pete and then getting to send that link to the art the guy who wrote the article i mean so happy yeah. and um what i find from the, inter- the limited interactions i've had with some of the members of the band is that um that they also don't give a shit either yeah <laughs> i don't it's think thomas are in the game matters like yeah they're like yeah i guess it is like i don't know which i don't know. i i personally am all, all for this new wave of ska like i'm a huge fan of it and they all see well it's interesting if you talk to with the scott scott has some of the worst elitist you'll ever meet in, in, yeah. in the music world um and this is straight from i mean i, I heard got to have this conversation with david mcguain from uh big d and the kids table about it as well on this very show so we're, we're in good company there but like uh when i was younger like i'm folly years like my was my band growing up and dear friends but like they played hardcore metal music with ska breakdowns and they were too hard for for the hardcore kids too ska for the ska kids and they never fit in anywhere mm-hmm. and now 20 years later it's been interesting to see both the hardcore but really the ska community they're on bad time records now like this is a band oh, that didn't nice. exist for a while like they put out that split with uh, the best of the worst like, so, so to me i think screen it is ska because it seems like the new wave of the what they call a new tone instead of mm-hmm. fourth wave or fifth wave whatever the fuck it would be they're calling the new tone um it seems like a lot of folly streetlight like that kind of stuff is really being influenced like even like i remember like being young like a sort of jelly beans is like the big thing for like the folly guys because it was like kind of you know ska core they used to call it do you mm-hmm. remember that this was sonetta's question that i took over for no reason so <laughs> i'm sorry no a, it's a conversation about it. I think um, I think I read something somewhere actually that said they were inspired by ska music by a lot of ska bands. Streetlight. Yeah, like there was something about. Well, Thomas was in Catch Twenty Fucking Two, baby. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I, sorry, it was actually probably Catch Twenty Two that was inspired because I, I remember reading oh, something yeah. once about Thomas driving with his brother or something. Was, they had like a radio station that only played really ska tunes, and then Catch Twenty Two ended up being formed after it or something. There's some story I can't remember. I'm paraphrasing, but that was the beginning inspiration for it. And if you actually look at some of the old notes about Streetlight and the band projects and all this stuff, Streetlight is written in Thomas's handwriting as ska punk. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that's um, yeah. I'm, I'm led to believe that that's kind of that there was supposed to be another punk rock more adjacent band that never formed um and then there's botar which is the orchestra and then the acoustic stuff so, so i'm gonna say ska punk because the artist himself said so but i don't know enough we, about uh, music to define it 
Yeah, we have that in common. We, I know we both have had this conversation that um, watching musicians is like watching magicians for us. Yeah, yeah. I think we had the combo with Matt, actually. <laughs> yeah, and I still have no idea how they do what they do. No, no idea. And I, it's funny because I love to dabble in all the arts, but music for me is just the thing. I just, no matter how much I practice, no matter what instrument, I just can't wrap my head around it at all. I just, I want to so bad, but I just, it's too many things. Um, As we do start to wrap it up, I have to point out another reason why this post from Graham is so great. I have never gotten so many wonderful things sent to my home, my personal home. Shout out Allie Fry for her fry mail. Another thing that we're talking about that normal people don't, normal quote unquote people don't do, and another reason why people love you, is this awesome Fosum trophy that you had made, that I, <laughs> among many people, you guys did like a superlatives. I got one for Podcast King, and it's literally a streetlight on a Monopoly thing with a little plaque. You made you made these. I did make these, yeah. And you shipped these to people, and you came up with it. Yeah. It's so cute, amazing. <laughs> but I remember I was having, this came, it was like last week or a couple weeks ago, I remember I told you had a really bad couple of days like uh, dealing with some just depression shit which I don't like and you know uh, things got better I came home just had the worst fucking day and I opened the mail and I got this and I like literally froze it's like okay. it was Aww. really sweet <laughs> and like I believe it or not of all the wonderful uh, accolades I've received over the years for my podcast first off there's never enough so keep coming but that one actually <laughs> really meant the most that, that that's up there like the first time I got into like Vulture and like Huffington Post status like the top three big moments of like holy shit oh i'm so glad <laughs> it really meant the world because i really love the crew yeah so i know you got the new book uh last words are for fools not inspired by groucho marx unfortunately uh <laughs> so when do we get your marx brothers uh, inspiration of this uh so you can get it uh on barnes and noble now amazon uh every country that has amazon it'll be up you could get the ebook on amazon on kindle it'll be up on uh, apple and google if you want to get more details about it you can check out the testimony books website which is testimonybooks.ca or you know follow me on social media check out my website uh, all the information will be up there we'll put everything in the show notes for you as well so i know we're like wrapping everything up but this is kind of just more something curious for me so i've been doing the show for 10 years and i kind of get bored very easily and all that kind of stuff of of it when do you know when to stop like you wrote a book i clearly have a, a bad eye of like this is done because i started a podcast that is may go forever because i've tried to mm-hmm. quit a bunch and i can't but you had to write that book at some point like to quote phil specter when do you kill your baby and especially with the nlvd and all our ld aspects that makes it really hard because like the exciting piece and the flip side is when you get bored of it and you're like i don't want to do this anymore what keeps you going um, or like so this book is actually um, a great example of that very process mainly because i started writing it back in like 2015 and it was like poetry at the time you know just kept writing these things uh one-off things and eventually i was like hey there's some some story forming that's actually all connected and so that process was like 2015 until i don't know like let's say 20 2018 then i started editing it so from 2018 until like now basically i've been editing this book and what? it's i'm not even kidding like for me that was very much the question is like and my dad even kept teasing me with it like you know you're gonna have to call it quits at some point point. And I don't know, I guess it was like A, a bit of intuition. B, also for me, like the way my stories work is that like the next story started taking over and I needed to clear space for that. So I needed to give myself a deadline and um, I couldn't start working on this next project until the first project was done. So I set a deadline for myself, which was actually last December. Um, And as December got closer, I realized, you know, I needed uh, two more months. So I just uh, set the deadline and then I I sent out to the public. It's almost kind of like manifest of goals really you know this is the deadline it has to be done for that um and by doing that is really uh what basically allowed myself to begin grieving letting go process because it was very much like you know you're holding on to it and it's time to let it go and show it to the world and especially because it's my first book and i've been writing yeah. it so long it was like it was scary man it was so scary <laughs> uh, i'm i'm just honestly i'm over the moon and just beyond happy for you like i know the struggles going into the writing this book and and you know i'm, I'm happy that we've gotten to be these like I don't want to say cheerleader because that's kind of reductive but like I've always felt like you in my corner and vice versa. I feel like I get yeah. to do the same for you and you know there's periods where you don't get to talk to people as much as you want to but like I know it's one of the weird moments of like hey wife I'm gonna go meet this woman I met on the internet in Boston see ya and she was like oh tell Snitta I have fun have fun because she knows all about you is that how your wife and sounds <laughs> no she's like I don't have to go cool <laughs> the high pitched oh. voice like oh the classic Hi, 
uh, unsolicited relationship advice I'm stealing from I'm stealing from an old episode of Girl on Guy with Aisha Tyler is just don't force your partner to do the shit you know that they hate. Yeah. Like So like I know she's not going to enjoy herself going to a Bokar concert. She's going to hate it. I'm not going to make her go. And then when she goes to like the Lisa A. Melk makeout house or some shit with her friend Lily, she doesn't make, bring me because I'm going to hate my hate it. Mm-hmm. And that's how you stay in love, folks. Do 100%. stuff you like and like Great instead of being like you have to come to this guy. Like oh my god, is there anything worse than a concert you don't want to be at? Nothing, because it feels like it goes on and on and on. Like that's the thing you, you hate the music, there. And, uh, especially because if you're standing there too, you can't even sit. You can't be on your phone because you look like a douche. Like <laughs> oh, and I find that too. The, the heavier, like the more the heavier the music too. Like when I yeah. don't like a metal band or a hardcore band, being like. Oh, it just feels like it's blasting it's like you're in like a torture chamber and they're just blasting yeah. that like loud ass music at you <laughs> oh man well thank you i'm very much a sucker of i love being reflective and being looking back and see where people land like you know we met each other at a really fucking terrifying point in history mm-hmm. and then like there were times which like there's there's a lot of period where i'm like well, we're never gonna even i just never thought we we're gonna meet each other in general which was totally fine but then the fact it was like well we're never gonna be able you're ne- you can't come to the states there's a pandemic they're never gonna let you back in we're never gonna oh, God, that we'll be internet friends forever and before we go that is the part we have to say about streetlight that i forgot to say is that it's gone past the internet and if you go to pretty much any streetlight show there's like a meetup of people and now i'm getting to see the pictures of everyone together yeah yeah but, but yeah it's so fun like like i like ali fry and jacob you always see at like places mm-hmm. and like you get to see all those meetups and and, 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 and meetups it, be like outside of even streetlight it's just like oh like we met up today in the city or like we went to this other show or something like it's yeah all connected oh i'm so glad we got to do this Me too. again <laughs>